Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Reach Life Church in Asheville, North Carolina. Our mission is changing life by being, making, growing, and unleashing gospel-centered disciples of Jesus. For more information, resources, or to connect with us online, visit www.reachlifechurch.org. If you have your Bibles this morning, we are going to be in the book of Philippians chapter 1. We're going to be looking at the pretty much the entire chapter of chapter 1, but I'm going to be zeroing in on verse 21. And so if you're able to stand, if you would stand with me, we're going to be uh, reading verses 20 through 26. So in honor of reading of God's Word, let's stand together as I read Philippians chapter 1, verses 20 through 26. This is the Apostle Paul who wrote a letter to the church in Philippi. He says, It is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be ashamed, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Verse 21, For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Verse 25, so convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Father, I thank you again for this precious gift, your word that you have given to us, your people, to cherish, to enjoy, to share, to hear, to obey, to be transformed by. And Lord, we know you are with us and we know you are for us. We know you are for us because you sent your son, Father, to die for us. And Jesus, we know that you are with us in this very room this morning because you did not stay in the grave. You rose from the dead. These are amazing truths that we know in our heads. Father, I pray that you would help us by the Holy Spirit for these truths to be illuminated in our hearts, that you would make these truths fresh in us, that we would worship you in spirit and in truth this morning. I pray this in Christ's name and all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. Well, as it's already been said, today is December 31st, New Year's Eve. And, you know, a close friend of mine sent me a meme that I believe captures this holiday season. I want you to look at it. It says, uh, at the top it says, 1st through 26th of December, festive. And then it says the 27th through the 31st, that's where we are right now, confused, full of cheese, unsure of the day of week it is. Can I get a witness? Can anyone uh, relate to that? Okay. I, I don't know why you're clapping, Billy, but that, that's where I've been at for the past few days. That's where we all, many of us are right now. And, and many of us are in that kind of like, my family calls it the slush of the holidays. You know, after a snow, when the snow starts melting and you step in the slush of it all. And I just want to encourage you, if if that's where you are right now this morning, if you're kind of sluggish and kind of blah, you're not alone. And I also want to encourage you that this happens every year. We forget that. Just hang in there. 
We're almost through the season. We're going to get back to normal, whatever that means. Okay, so uh, with that in mind, uh, this morning, as I have been reflecting on the past year, on 2023, one thing I realize is true of every single person that is in this room. If you're watching online, if you're listening through the podcast, every, uh, every one of us made it through 2023 by the grace of God. That is true. And with that in mind, I have a question to ask you as we're starting out here. And that is, what if the Lord made it known to you and you knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that it was the Lord and that he was speaking the truth to you? What if the Lord made known to you that next year on December 31st in 2024, that you would no longer be living in this realm? That you would no longer be alive? From 20, January 1st, sometime between January 1st and December 31st, you would, I'm just going to say it bluntly, you would die. Now, would you, if the Lord spoke that to you, would you take that as good news? Would you take that as bad news? Would it excite you to know that 2024 was your last year to live on this earth? Or would it bring feelings of hesitation? Um, would it bring fear? Because honestly, if you're really honest, you're not really ready to die. It may be because there's some things in this world that you still want to experience that you haven't experienced yet. Getting married, having kids, all those types, having a house, a dog, all that kind of stuff. You may still think, man, I, I don't want to die yet. I want to experience that. Or maybe it's because you're not ready to stand before the Lord. And the truth is that death scares you, if you really are honest. And the reason that, that I begin with this sober question is not because I want to have this morbid sermon this morning and scare you all to death. Uh, the reason that I'm starting with this question is because Paul, in this passage, is wrestling with this dilemma. Whether he wants to continue living and serving Jesus, or if he wants to die and go be with Jesus. He's I don't know if you noticed this in the passage, but he's like torn between these two ideas of being alive or being dead. Look at verse 21, and this is the, uh, the passage, the uh, verse that I want to really hunker down in in just a minute. But it, Paul says, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But in the verse 22, he says, if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. See, see, the, see how he's torn right here? He says, I am hard-pressed between the two, between living and dying. He, he desires to live, not so that he can have some more experiences in life. I think he's had enough experiences being in jail, in prison, shipwrecked, all the things that he's gone through. But he's wanting to live so that he can continue to, be, to serve the Lord in a fruitful way and to encourage the church, to strengthen the church. He wants to live for Jesus and live his life for others. That's what he desires to do. But he also desires to die. Not Listen, it's not because he was depressed. It's not because he was suicidal. He went through a lot of very difficult things in life. But if you read the book of Philippians, and I strongly encourage you to do that, you're going to see that this is not a man that's, that's suicidal or depressed. He longed 
to die because he longed to be with Jesus. And he saw that death is the doorway for the believer that opens up to allow you to be with the one who died for you, the one who loves you, the one that you've been worshiping on this side of eternity before you go to be with the Lord. And that's why he considered death to be gain. And that's why he was in a place where he could truly say that both life and death have their benefits. And I want to ask you this morning, where you're sitting right now, where you're at, can you say that this morning? Can you in truth say, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. You may be sitting there going, I don't even know what that means. Well, we're going to get into that in just a second. But my hope, my prayer is that by the end of this message, we all will be in the same place. We're moving towards the same place where Paul was. When he basically said, I'm prepared to live and I am prepared to die. Whatever the Lord's will is for me. And if you're taking notes on the back of the weekly, uh, there's a place that's called the big idea. And this is the big idea for today. This is what I want you to be able to take away from this passage this morning, is that, and that is, when Christ is your life, living and dying are both appealing. When Christ is your life, living and dying are both appealing. And just so you'll know where we're headed this morning, like I said earlier, I plan to focus on verse 21, specifically on the first seven verses, uh, words of verse 21, where Paul says, for to me, to live is Christ. And as we focus on that, I want to answer three questions. Number one, what does that mean? Number two, what does it look like to live as Christ? And number three, how can this be true of us? For us to be able to say, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Because listen, if we get that right, if you get the first part of this verse right, if you can truly say, for to me to live is Christ, then you'll be able to get the second part right too, because death will be gain for all of us. And so with that said, let's go ahead and jump into the first question, is, and that is, what does it mean? What does it mean when Paul says, for to me to live is Christ? Well, number one, what it means is, is that you are a saint. It means that you are a saint. You have to be a saint for this to mean what it means. Look at Philippians 1.1. This is the first verse in chapter 1 of Philippians. It says, Paul starts this way. He says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi. Now, obviously, this letter was written to who? Saints. It's to be read by those who are alive. Now, let me ask you this. Do you see yourself as a saint? I'm not talking about a saint's fan. You probably wouldn't admit that. But do you see, if I said, are you a saint, what would you say? Most people would say, you know, I'm not a saint. I'm no Mother Teresa. Have you ever heard that? I'm no Mother Teresa. I'm not, I'm not up here as a saint. You know, that's, uh, I don't know if you know this, but Mother Teresa was uh, canonized by the Catholic Church as being a saint in 2016. She was the lady that did a lot of, is known for doing a lot of work for the poor and orphanages and just laying her life down. That's what it was all about. And so, you know, I was like, what does that mean to be a saint 
in the Catholic Church. So I did a little bit of studying online. I read some articles, and there's about three or four things that have to be true of you if you're going to be canonized. Can, is it can, yes, canonized as a saint. Number one is you have to die. You have to be dead. Okay, so obviously Paul was not writing this to people in the grave. This is not what he means when he says saint. Secondly, you have to live a heroically virtuous life of holiness, pureness, kindness, and devotion. When people start looking at you, whether you were a saint. And, and thirdly, at least two miracles must be attributed to your name, occurring not while you were living, but after you were living. And here's why. Because this gives proof to the Catholic Church that that person is indeed in heaven with God interceding on our behalf. Now, we don't teach that at Reach Life Church, primarily because the Scripture does not teach that. The Scripture nowhere teaches that we, after we die, intercede for the church. Actually, in 1 Timothy 2, verse 5, it says the exact opposite. There is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. But, you know, sometimes when you talk about being a saint... You think of being a super-Christian, but that's not what Paul was referring to in this passage. He was saying this. You know, the word that's translated as saint in your Bible, you might have an NIV Bible, and it translates it as holy one or holy person. That's what it means. It means to be holy, to all the holy ones in Christ Jesus. In other words, what is a saint? A saint in this context, is everyone who turns to Jesus and fully trusts, not in their works, not in their good works, but in his finished work for them on the cross, is someone who trusts fully, not in their righteousness, but in his righteousness to make them right and holy before God. The, the, the minute that you believe in Christ, the minute that you put your faith in Jesus, immediately you are a saint. Because in the eyes of God, you are perfect. You are holy through Jesus. So to be able to say that, uh, to live as Christ, number one, you, you have to be able to say that you are a saint, that you belong to Jesus. Secondly, you need to, be, you need to realize that Jesus is your primary identity. Jesus is your primary identity. Identity. Let's look at verse 1 again. Paul and Timothy, servants of who? Christ Jesus. To all the saints in who? Christ Jesus, who are at Philippi. Christ is clearly, as you read through this, this uh, book, he is clearly Paul's primary identity. If you count the number of times in chapter 1 alone, that Jesus Christ is mentioned, it's at least 17 times. It's, it's dripping with the person of Jesus Christ. And when we talk about identity, what does that mean when, when you say that this is your identity? Well, your identity is anything that makes you feel significant or insignificant about yourself. So if your identity is primarily in something that is temporal, if your uh, identity is something that fluctuates, or if it can be taken away, such as like your body. If, if your identity is in your body, what you look like, depending on how you feel like you look like, is going to dictate the way that you feel about yourself, the significance about yourself, the way you look, what you feel like. 
Uh, even what you can and cannot do. I don't know how many uh, guys that are, we're getting older and I keep talking to guys that get older and older. I'm like, I used to be able to, I used to be able to. And our identities, if that is where your primary identity is, it can be taken away. You can lose your identity. Or it could be in relationships, your marital status. It could be in whether you have children or uh, whether they're still in the home, that sort of thing. Or if it's, it could be in something as silly as sports, right? You could be angry because your team did not make it into the playoffs this year. And they got crushed last night by 60 points, proving that they probably shouldn't have been there anyway. If your identity is in something like that, you're going to be like, your emotions, your feelings about who you are will be up and down. And you'll not be able to say with confidence that death is gain if those are your primary identity. Because death strips us of everything in this life that is temporal. Death strips us of earthly status. Death strips us of earthly wealth, of our possessions, of all our earthly accomplishments, all the things that we do, death strips us of them. But when Jesus, when Jesus who is eternal, when he becomes our primary identity, then we begin to realize that our feelings, who we are, does not change. When we realize who he is, when we we realize what he has done. When you believe in him and you become a saint, you know what happens? You change. Your life changes because Jesus wrecks your world in a good way. He turns it upside down and shows you what truly is of eternal purpose. And not only that, God gives you the Holy Spirit at that point. If you look at Philippians 1 verse 6, it says that he who began a good work and you will bring it to completion on the day of, of Jesus Christ. When you put your faith in Jesus, God begins transforming you little by little to be more, we sang about it, to be more like Jesus. What does that mean? It means that you begin to live, think, act with the mind of Christ. We don't become Jesus. There's only one Jesus. We're humans. But we begin to be what we were created to be. God's image bearers that bring glory to him. To live as Christ, to live is Christ, means that Jesus becomes your primary identity. And now, that doesn't mean, I want to be clear here about this, it doesn't mean that you lose all your other identities. I'm, I'm a man, if you didn't know that, I'm a man who is a husband, who is a father, who is a grandfather, who is a father-in-law, who is a pastor, who could have played in the NFL if I had been better, had more talent, giftings. But that is, you know, we all, God has given us all certain things about us, certain characteristics that identify us, that make us who we are our personalities, our ethnicities, what we like, what we're gifted at, uh, our gender, all those things God has put together to make up you to be who you are. But they should not be the primary identifier of who you are. They should be sub-identities 
underneath your primary, who is Christ Jesus. So when Jesus is your primary identity, you see yourself first and foremost as a child of God, as a disciple of Jesus, as a Christian who happens to be like a business owner or a student athlete or a, a wife or daughter, etc. You are primarily identified by who you are in Christ. Christ defines you. And I heard one pastor uh, say something, and I think it's, he asked a question, I think it's really a good question. And that is, when you first meet someone, uh, whether at work or out in the world, how long, how long does it take for them to realize that you are a disciple of Jesus? That is a great question, isn't it? How long, do they think you're just a great, nice guy? Or maybe they don't even think that. How, how, how long does it take for them to realize there's something good, different about you in a good way, that your identity has been shaped by Christ? In other words, do those who are outside of the church, those who are out what we would call uh, the mission field, as we're missionaries, how, how long before they know that you belong to Jesus? Do, do you remind them of Jesus in any way because of the way he's transformed your life? Or would they be, su be surprised to know that you claim to follow Jesus? That is a great question for us to examine our lives. If you have to say they wouldn't know, we have to, we have to question, then what is our identity? Because if Christ is your identity, he will transform us. We will bear fruit. So to live as, as Christ means that you belong to Jesus, you're a saint. And then secondly, he's your primary identity. Second question, what does it look like? What does it look like to be able to say in truth, for to me to live, to live is Christ? That's the second question I want to look at this morning. Well, when Christ is your life, and this is all in chapter one, uh, number one, your life is marked by thanksgiving, joy, and affection. When Christ is your life, is your life, when he is your identity. Now, I want to just pause here and just say something as we're moving through this. You can be in Christ, and something is sitting in the place of your identity. You can still be in Christ. And so that's what I want us to examine, church. This is not, are you saved necessarily? This is, is this morning, as I'm living, is Christ my identity? And if he is, here's a, here's a marking, here's fruit. Your life will be marked by thanksgiving, joy, and affection. And it's so important to remember that the Apostle Paul, when he wrote this letter, he was incarcerated. Some commentators have said that he probably was chained to a guard at all times. That he was in prison. And why was he in prison? We need to remember why he was in prison. It's because he loved Jesus. And he loved people. And he loved people enough to tell them the truth even if it was something they didn't want to hear. He told them the truth that they were not good enough apart from Christ. He proclaimed the full message of Jesus, and it landed him in prison. He was innocent, and he was definitely being oppressed by a corrupt system. And yet, look at him. Instead of grumbling Instead of complaining, instead of pointing fingers at people, 
And instead of licking his wounds, like I know that I would be tempted to do, we see a man that is full of thanksgiving, joy, and affection. Let's look at verse 3 to see the thanksgiving and joy. He says, I thank. This is verse 3 of chapter 1. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy. And then there's here's some affection. I want you to look at verse 7. He says, it is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness. Basically what he's saying here is, I'm not lying. God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. I yearn for you with all the affection of Christ Jesus. Now, that's worth stopping and talking about and, and thinking about. When you think about Jesus and you see him looking at you, do you see him this way? Do you see him as yearning with affection for you? That is a truth, church, that is worth meditating on. Realizing, you know, that Jesus yearns for his people. He has true affections for us. And that's the Jesus that we need to know, and that's the Jesus that we need to proclaim, because that's the Jesus that transforms lives. So when Christ is your life, your life is marked by thanksgiving, joy, and affection. Secondly, you're concerned about the eternal welfare of others. This is a fruit that comes when Christ is your life in you. You become concerned about the eternal welfare of others. Look at verse 9. Paul goes on, he says, And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. That is, that your love would continue to grow, that your love would continue to overflow with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is, that you'll be blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. Right here, do you see that Paul is is alluding to, or he's talking about living and dying in this section. Basically what he's saying is, church, listen, I'm praying for you because it matters. It matters how you live your life. Because when you die, you see that phrase for the day of Christ? When you die, you will stand before the Lord. And I want you to be able to stand before the Lord unashamed of how you live the life that God gave you, that he entrusted to you, that you will be able to be like a, like a, a tree whose branches are just full of righteous fruit that was produced not from your strivings and your good works and trying to be right before God, but by you realizing who Christ is, what he's done for you, how much he loves you, by abiding in him and being saturated in Christ, that you will bear much fruit. Paul shows us that when Christ is your life, you're concerned about the eternal welfare of others. And then thirdly, when Christ is your life, you rest in God's sovereignty. You will rest in his sovereignty. And most of us, many of us in this room probably are aware 
of the passage, Romans 8, 28, that basically says something to the effect of God causes all things, what? To work together for good uh, to those who love him or are called according to his purposes. God causes all things, the good and the bad in your life, uh, in the life of a believer, to work together for good. And in verses 12 through 14, Paul practices what he preaches in Romans 8, 28. He, he lives it out. Look at verse 12. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Now, what has happened? What does he mean? I want you to know what has happened to me. What has happened to him? He's been being persecuted. He's being thrown into prison. Bad things are happening. But what is he saying? He's saying, but God is causing it to, to work together for good. Why? Because it's advancing the gospel. How? Well, look at verse 13. There's two ways that he's going to point out of how God is causing his imprisonment to work together for good. Verse 13, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And verse 14, and most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. He's basically saying, listen, brothers and sisters, I want you to know that, yes, I'm suffering. Yes, I'm in prison, but God is causing this to work together for good. Number one, because the gospel is spreading like wildfire here in the prison. The whole imperial guard knows about who Jesus is. Secondly, he says that God is using my imprisonment to embolden others, other believers, to speak the word of God without fear. When you see somebody on fire for Jesus, what does it do if you are in Jesus? You want to be like that, don't you? It emboldens you to want to live a life. That's why it's important, church, that we realize we're not living separately from one another. We are, we are connected to one another. How we live our lives matters because it can affect us in a positive way and negative way, but a positive way in order to make Christ known together. One, a fourth thing I want us to see here is what it looks like when Christ is your life. Is that your life will magnify Christ. Your life will magnify Christ. As, as if we've already seen this letter reveals that Paul is living a Christ-saturated life. And therefore, that means that Jesus influences how he sees everything in life even his sufferings. And in verse 20, he expresses his life goal. I want you to see Paul reveals to us what his life goal is here. It is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now as always, here it is, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. His life goal is that Christ will be honored. That word honored means to be magnified. It means to be glorified or made known. His desire is that Christ will be magnified in his body. And when we're talking about magnifying Christ, we're not saying that we need to make Jesus look better than, and bigger than he is, kind of like a, a microscope looking down at something small so that we can see it's bigger. That's not what we're talking about. Think about a, a uh, infinitely, I don't, I, if it was infinitely, you would, it wouldn't be far away, but a, a huge planet that's, that's away. What would you use? A telescope, because you can't see it clearly. 
And so you use a telescope to see the glory of that planet. And that's what Paul is saying. He he says, I want my life to be a telescope for people to see who Jesus is clearly. Because the truth is, Jesus really is blurry. Jesus really is fuzzy to most people in this world. Most people do not see Jesus for who he really is. I mean, even sometimes we can lose focus of who Jesus is, and we have to be readjusted. But this world does not know who Jesus is. And I think when I you know, see what, they, what people post and what people say about Jesus, a lot of times they see him as a good teacher who wore sandals and who basically taught, hey, don't judge anybody and love everybody, accept everybody. And, you know, even those teachings are fuzzy when they, the way they understand those teachings. That's not what he means by that. But Jesus is, like I said, it's fuzzy and out of focus to this world. He's, but he's infinitely more than just a good teacher. And Paul is eager to live his life in such a way that it brings clarity to others as to who Jesus truly is. Paul wants to live his life in such a way that it shows that Christ is the most valuable treasure in his life. And that's what we're called to do. That's what we're called to do, isn't it, church? To live our lives that show, that prove, not by just what we say, but by the way that we live our lives, that Christ is our treasure. How, do, how does that look? Well, when Christ is our treasure, then the way that we spend money, it affects the way we spend our money. We spend our money in, a way, in ways that we want to make Jesus known. We, we spend our time in ways that we want people to see the glory of Christ. The way that we take care of our bodies, the way that we treat others, all that is affected by, by Christ and helping people see how beautiful, how glorious Jesus really is. Last question I want to answer is, how can this be true? How can this be true of us? How can we be able to say that for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain? Now, I want to give you some good news And that is, this morning, you may be sitting here and you're like, man, I'm just not there at all with what you're sharing this morning. I'm not feeling it. And uh, Paul is way, way ahead of me, and and I'm the same way. I feel that too. But in in Philippians 3.12, and I don't have this to put up on the screen, but in Philippians 3.12, Paul Paul goes through all this stuff. He says, I want to live for Christ. And then he says this. He says, not that I have already attained this. Not that I've already become perfect. He says, this is my goal. He says, I forget what's behind me and I press forward. Like I said earlier, when God begins a good work in you, he begins to change you step by step. And this morning, we need to ask, what step do we need to take this morning to become more like Christ? How can this be true of us? How can we be able to say, take a step forward and say, I'm prepared to live for Christ and I'm prepared to die for Christ because they are both appealing to me? Well, the answer is very simple, but it's not easy. And it's a message, it's an answer that we preach regularly from the pulpit. 
And that is, in order to be, uh, for this to be true of us, we need to behold Jesus, we need to focus on Jesus, and we need to abide in Jesus. Notice I didn't say we need to try to be more like Jesus. Remember Peter, when he was fishing, he fished all night. He didn't know Jesus yet, but he was fished all night and caught nothing. He came into the shore, and Jesus says, hey, uh, cast out your nets for a catch. And it's during the day when you don't fish, and Peter says, okay, I'm going to do it because you said to do it. He goes out there, and as you know, he caught more fish than he knew what to do with. And when he comes to the shore, what does he do? He falls at the feet of Jesus. And it's not because Jesus said, bow down to me. You know why he bowed down to him? Because he saw who he was. That's what you need, church. That's what I need, church. I don't need you to tell me all, you know, specifically what to do. I need to see Jesus first. I need, before I do anything, I need to see Jesus If you see Jesus, it's going to make you want to do the things that he tells us to do. So if this is going to be true of us, that is what we must do in 2024. We have to behold Jesus. We have to focus on Jesus. We have to abide in Jesus. How? Very simple, but difficult. This isn't new. You need to spend time with Jesus. If if you're not spending time with Jesus, this isn't going to happen. You've got to spend time with Jesus in prayer and in his word and growing in that. And secondly, you need to spend time with his body, his people. You need to get around people that are saturated with Jesus because it will embolden you. It will encourage you to be saturated in Christ. We need to be in fellowship with one another. Have you ever seen somebody that, that you, you're like, man, that person, is, is that, is, is, um, their identity is in Christ? And, and you've asked yourself, what is their secret sauce? They weren't born that way. Let me just tell you that much. They're doing what I just said. They're abiding in Christ. Because Jesus said, if you abide in me, you will bear much fruit. If you abide in me. And so on the, the bottom of, of the weekly there, I've got this section that says application. It says, for to blank, that's, that's your name. For to James, to live is what? Right now, what is that in your life? What is the thing that, that you're, maybe you've been thinking about this whole time while I've been preaching. You're worried about it. Or you can't wait to get to it. But it's not Christ. Is there anything? I want to encourage you this morning to ask, confess that to the Lord. He sees it. He knows it. Ask him, draw me to you, Lord. I want to be able to say, to live is Christ, so that I can say that to die is gain. Right now, if you were to die, and I'm talking to the church too, what does that produce in you? Does it produce excitement in you and joy, or is there some hesitation? We'll get the front part right. To live is Christ. Then you'll be ready to die. I want us to be a a people this year that's growing in this, so that we can together corporately say, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain.
Amen.